Workday Afternoon Replay from Money FM 89.3. Coffee with Clarissa on Money FM 89.3. Good afternoon, if you've just joined us. Now, he's an actor, author, TV personality, academic, and an award-winning architect. I don't know where he finds the time to actually have hobbies, but we'll find out if he has any. But today, we turn our attention a little bit more to his involvement in architecture. Since 2012, Pomeroy's studio, founded by Jason Pomeroy, has established sustainable urbanism, architecture, design, research, creating a number of landmark green projects. Their biggest local project is the Bee House in 2016, the first carbon negative house in Singapore. We welcome Jason Pomeroy, founding principal of Pomeroy Studio and Academy to the show. Welcome. Thank you very much for that (laughs) remarkable introduction. (laughs) Thank you. You're very welcome. Now, clearly you have many irons in the fire and clearly nobody puts you in a corner. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. But let's talk about Architecture. What Please. made you want to be an architect? Uh, when I was eight years old, my father took me to St. Paul's Cathedral. Oh, and they'll do it every time. Yeah, I mean, basically... I wanted to be an architect, <laughs> You know, it's, it's that sense of magic. And basically there he took me up to the Whispering Gallery and said, look, I'm going to do some magic. He went to the corner. He whispered along the curvature mm. of the wall. I could hear him talking, even though he was, you know, pretty A far away. away exactly. Yeah. And I thought, well, that really is magic. What is this? And he basically said, this is architecture. And I was hooked. Wanted to know about Christopher Wren, wanted to study architecture, and I haven't looked back since. You know, Christopher Wren, right there, is why anyone who goes and looks at something that he's created wants to be an architect. I know, it's amazing. St. Paul's Cathedral was, for me, this kind of, it was an epiphany. And then when I went to Cambridge University to study, I would then be working and studying in one of his amazing libraries as well. So Christopher Wren has, in my view, has never been too far away. He's always been a source of inspiration Mm -hmm. and arguably one of the first green architects in terms of embracing natural light and natural ventilation. Please expound on that. Well, you know, in, in, in those days... You didn't have this term green architecture. It was just back to basics architecture. Mm. It was all about natural light, natural ventilation. Mm -hmm. And arguably, we've lost sight of that. So I kind of like looking to the past in order to kind of design for the present and hopefully distill that knowledge for future generations through the TV and through wonderful opportunities like this on radio. Okay, so which, which kind of architect are you? I am a green architect and master planner through and through. And I am passionate about designing green cities, green buildings, landscapes and interiors that try to reduce the carbon footprint on our habitats. Because ultimately, we see and witness you know, climate change all around us, you know, record-breaking droughts and polar ice caps melting. I want to know that the work that we're doing is actually making a difference to trying to ensure that our future generations can live in livable and lovable cities and buildings. Okay, that, that's, that's a tall order, isn't it? It is an incredibly tall Especially order. Especially in this part of the world. Indeed, you but tell somebody, somebody has to do it. You're not going to have air conditioning, you're going to have natural ventilation. They might fall off their chairs. Indeed, and that's why the academy plays a vital role in trying to educate you know, people in industry, in society, to try and spread the message that climate change is upon us. We 
only have one chance and now is the chance for us to try and reduce our carbon emissions, to try and make a positive change that will preserve the natural as well as the built environment. And so the academy works hand in hand with the studio that tries to push the needle a bit towards a greener future. Okay, well, I can't say that I disagree with any of that and I support it wholeheartedly. I I bring guests on all the time and sit back and let them go on about why we need to be more sustainable, why we need to stop using single-use plastics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what you're doing here right now. (laughs) I'm sorry. You're that guest this week. Am I I one of those who's basically kind of waxing lyrical about the green agenda? And I guess maybe... It has become a hackneyed topic, hasn't it? I mean, everybody talks about green, everybody talks about sustainability. But even when you look at the recent international panel climate change reports on on the cataclysmic effects of of what we are doing uh, to our built environment, I think now it's about trying to make a significant uh, difference. For instance, rising sea levels. Mm -hmm. What we're propagating is floating communities. We're designing floating communities that will be able to react to those rising sea levels. So you're saying Waterworld, a terrible, terrible movie, was ahead of its time. I do believe that, <laughs> even though the acting was abysmal. It was but awful. ultimately, it provided a glimpse of the future. And isn't it funny that so many elements in celluloid and elements in TV or film are often kind of a predictive theory of what's to come? Look at Blade Runner. Now, we're seeing at the end of this year, we're going to be seeing kind of drone technology being tested out as public vehicles. Right. So... Is this going to be helping ease the, the the traffic congestion? Is this going to be the future of mobility? So, Well, it might actually bring some of those really terrible drivers off the roads. That might be a delightful prospect. <laughs> and maybe we need to start thinking about how we're going to be managing some of those PMDs, those personal mobility devices, mm-hmm. in relation to driverless cars and uh, public drones that might be able to help um, reduce the congestions on the street. But, you know... Rising sea levels is one thing. Food scarcity is another. Think about the fact that 85% of the food produce that we're consuming in Singapore is actually imported. We should be thinking about alternative methods of food production that can actually sustain the lives and the well-beings of so many people living here now and also in the future. So I guess some of these topics relating to zero carbon development, food scarcity, uh, reacting against rising sea levels is part and parcel of what my design studio is doing. And whilst the carbon negative house in in Bukit Timah was one project we're also thinking about the rise of the digital economy in our in our office building that we've recently completed over near Mediopolis uh, we're looking at the Kalang precinct as a sustainable master plan for the region that will be good for the inhabitants uh, as well as for the people uh, playing within uh, that precinct so we're hoping that these efforts will uh, do some greater good for the Singaporean as well as the local and the visitor We're speaking to Jason Pomeroy, founding principal of Pomeroy Studio and Academy. Now, my next question was originally going to be, why did you start your own studio? But it's clear why you had to start your own architectural firm, (laughs) because you have very, very specific ideas about what you want to achieve through architecture. Indeed. And that wouldn't necessarily align with some of the bigger architectural firms that would have been around 
in 2012. Yes, I completely agree. And I think that... Um, you know, I've done my fair share of working in big corporations and I do not want to take anything away from the remarkable lessons learned. But I felt that it was timely to try and pursue a green avenue, given the fact that, you know, moving away from a global financial crisis and thinking about what the economics of building designs and city designs should be, how can uh, green developments be kind of economic, affordable, but at the same time, good for the environment? So ultimately, those were the goals and to ultimately try and make a difference in people's lives. That's why we're kind of proud of the projects that we do, because we kind of see that people are enjoying the places that they're living, working or playing in. OK, tell us more about Bee House. Bee House was the first carbon negative house in Singapore. Effectively, when I say carbon negative, it's almost like being a power station. It generates more energy than the house uses. can consume. Right. Exactly. Um, How do you do that? Uh, well, basically, um, the first point is to try and really reduce the consumption of uh, the building. So let's just say, for instance, you've got a family of four, they mm -hmm. would consume 14,000 kilowatt hours of energy per year when they're kind of popping in the Pop-Tart into the toaster and sort of switching on the power shower. Now, you just aged yourself with that Pop-Tart there, honey. Hey, you know... <laughs> This, this this silky exterior might be kind of looking very young and youthful, but actually I'm 76. No, I'm joking. I'm actually 44. Um, but ultimately, what you need to do is start by creating a passive lean design mm -hmm. that would be able to reduce energy consumption, water consumption. And only then can you start to think about the active green strategies like solar panels on the roof, for instance, to sure. generate the energy. So we ended up creating a super lean, energy efficient and water efficient house. But then the surplus energy that was generated by the solar could offset the demand of the family and then some. You could effectively plug in a, an electric car and kind of run around Singapore in it. I mean, that was just one of the projects. And obviously, we've scaled to different size of projects, whether it's the, the Alice building in uh, Mediopolis or the Kalang Precinct master plan. Mm -hmm. And so I guess the, uh, the, the common thread is ensuring that the green agenda is maintained, energy consumption and water consumption is reduced, and ultimately a pleasurable experience for the person. Okay, we are talking to Jason Pomeroy, founding principal of Pomeroy Studio and Academy. Now, the Singapore Design Week kicked started last week. Yep. Um, same time, we kick-started a whole new programming schedule. Congratulations. Which is interesting. It is. And you delivered the keynote address. Now, what you want uh, you want everyone to come away from after that speech? Well, it's a, it's a good point. I mean, I'll be giving the, the, the address uh, this Friday. Okay, um, this Friday. And uh, basically, um, it's a topic called the rise of the digital economy. Mm -hmm. Increasingly, we're kind of living in this digital world uh, where we are seeing a shift from a manufacturing-led economy to a digital economy. Mm -hmm. And really, we've seen some cataclysmic change in the last 20 years with the rise of artificial intelligence and the internet of things. Sure. So what benefit does that bring to Singapore and what effect does it have on the built environment? Are we going to be practicing and working in offices from the 1990s and the 2000s? Is it more practical just to be setting up a laptop in a giant shed or a warehouse? What is the shape of the office to come? Mm -hmm. And so the lecture will be very much on tracking the evolution to what we 
foresee is now the digital economy and what is the shape and form of the new workplace in the 21st century. And we'll be looking at various case studies from around the world as well as kind of showing a few of our projects as well. It would be oh, rude not to. It would be rude not to, absolutely. <laughs> okay, we've done the, the work thing. Yeah. We've talked about your vision, which is a powerful one. And, and again, I can't disagree with anything you said because we really, really need to start looking at sustainability. Indeed. Um, we don't have a choice, really. We don't have a choice. So let me ask you this. Yeah. How do you feel about all these young people threatening to go on strike around the world to force governments around the world to take climate change more seriously? Well, I think that uh, within, within acceptable means, I would wholly advocate for that mm -hmm. because... Ultimately, they're not the baby boomers who are actually campaigning. They're the people who are going to have their lives immediately impacted by record-breaking droughts, food shortage, flooding. And I would say that it is this more informed generation that have had a serious education in sustainability and climate change-related disasters that... Is, is a good thing for them to stand up in, in a common voice. Uh, what's wonderful is that it's kind of transcending kind of geographical boundaries, and I think that that should be celebrated. And, um, yes, I would certainly like to wave my flag and kind of stick the green flag in there where I can if I had the time to do so. Um, so but all I can say is that I think it is, is, is imperative that global leaders wake up to this. And, I mean, we saw that in uh, the COP21 uh, Paris uh, climate change accord where you know over 150 countries signed up to the idea that temperatures should not exceed 1.5 degrees over pre-industrial levels. Mm -hmm. I think that this is something that should be taken far more seriously because frankly time is running out. I think time might have already run out on us yes. but then I'm kind of like a glass half empty kind of girl. <laughs> you strike me as a kind of glass half full actually. Well but. depends on where the glass is sitting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we go back to that wonderful intro I gave of you. Yeah. Now, you are an award-winning architect, but you're also an actor, an author, a TV personality. Well, I don't know about the actor bit, but, uh, well, I guess the TV... Salesman, then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Flattery will get you everywhere. Everywhere. Okay. So what do you do when you step away from all things minutely related to work? What do you oh, do for fun? That's a really good question. I mean, for me, there is this one setting that I find is a sanctuary. And there is a, an island uh, just opposite St. Mark's Square in Venice, San Giorgio Island. Mm -hmm. And for one week a year, I have the privilege of um, taking a bunch of students from different backgrounds all around the world, 20 places uh, where we have this uh, cultural sustainability masterclass. And I guess I don't get away from anything, right? I don't get away from designing. I don't get away from teaching. It is a passion of mine. But this one is actually my sense of retreat. Mm -hmm. So for five days, I take a bunch of students from different backgrounds. We once had uh, the direct, one of the directors of the URA all the way through to undergraduate students wanting to learn a bit about cultural sustainability and conservation. After all, in a globalised world uh, where Starbucks culture is all around us, what does it mean to be Singaporean, half English, half Malaysian like myself? You know, mm -hmm. um, where is our local culture? So 
my retreat to this island to kind of get a view of St. Mark's and to share in the experience with these 20 students is my personal joy for five days. Uh, for the rest of the time, it is basically trying to catch sleep wherever I can. <laughs> Good luck and, with uh, that. <laughs> and yes, the, the constant trips to the gym to try and unwind. So um, I guess that is my sense of respite. From, you know, being an author and an architect. And yeah, I haven't written a book for two years now. Well, slacker, get on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, note to self, Clarissa, I will get on to it, yeah. <laughs> so what's next? Uh, what's next? We're currently designing uh, two buildings in Sweden. One of them is a 15-storey uh, cross-laminated timber construction, uh, which has sky courts and sky gardens, which is a, a research passion of mine uh, to try and green the urban habitat of this one town in Javle, uh, which is uh, just south of uh, Stockholm. Mm -hmm. uh, we're designing a zero-carbon uh, building there as well, which fe features uh, vertical vegetable farms that can be supplying the food needs of the community. Uh, we're working um, on projects in uh, the Philippines in terms of large-scale master plans as well as a smart city in Jakarta. Um, the ongoing work with the Kalang Precinct in Singapore, uh, work in Pakistan and the Middle East. So it's a weird and varied bunch of projects at a city scale all the way through to the micro scale of the dwelling. So uh, it's most enjoyable, if slightly hectic. This is interesting because I, I'm, I'm sitting here and thinking, so if he had a vanity project, what would it be? Oh, the vanity project. You see, most people would kind of take a vanity project being like a tall building. You know, I had the privilege of designing the tallest building in the Philippines a few years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but um, is that what we're about? No. I mean, I think that uh, vanity projects can be small and beautiful as well. You know, the carbon negative house in Bukit Timah was wonderful because it was setting a benchmark in terms of green design. Mm -hmm. So ultimately for us, it's not about the longest or the tallest. It's something that's adding a green value. So recently we did a, a research project in Abu Dhabi, which mm -hmm. was creating a floating solar farm and floating vegetable farm, which would basically provide all of the food needs for the community of Mina Zayed. Effectively, that is rocking our boat, pardon the pun, because um, here we are being able to offset the demand of a complete community. They would never have to import vegetables uh, for this particular community for the rest of the year. 561,000 kilograms of lettuce when this community only consumes 113,000 kilograms of lettuce. At least you're pushing the needle. You're doing something that is positive for the environment, uh, reducing the chance of food scarcity. And when you think about Abu Dhabi having 85% of their food production being imported, you're doing something right by creating it local. All right. Well, in other words, you don't need a vanity project. No, I it, hope not. Your work speaks or, for itself. Yeah. I hope I mean, so. I think your work, every single one of those projects that you just outlined would be a vanity project if you thought of it that way. Thank, I'll take that as a compliment. It is a compliment. <laughs> I've had a wonderful time talking to you. Me too. Uh, we, we might even do this again. I hope so. It was yeah. really enjoyable. It was really enjoyable. We've been talking to Jason Pomeroy, founding principal of Pomeroy Studio and Academy on Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.